Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Please join us today in greeting episode 279, wherein Graham McMillan and I celebrate the good and decry the bad in today's exciting world of comics. Join us as we talk about Safe Sex by Tina Horn and Michael Dowling, the recent run on Mars Attacks by Kyle Starks and Chris Schweitzer, the first issue of Ryoko by Odo Yoshimizu, Volume 2 of Star Wars Rising Stars, Batman Universe Number 3, Conan Truthers versus Dear Justice League Truthers, and much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello there, I have to say, I really hope that the recorder got whatever that noise was. There was like a burp noise. Oh Just no, burp. right? It was probably, hold on, let's see if I can do it. I think it was the chair. I hope it was the chair. And of course I can't do it again. Well anyway, let's hope so, Graham McMillan. Let's 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 hope that's the that's the that's the sound of the underground. Let's hope that's the way that this episode starts. For our legions, I say legions of whatnots out there. Yes. Yes indeed. Hello whatnots, hello. We're back with another um exciting episode of Wait What? And to start <laughs> us off. Graham is going to deliver a poignant monologue for the next 35 minutes. Go, Graham. What nuts? What you out there in listener land don't know is that we out here in recording the actual thing land are recording late because it's been a day. What nuts? <laughs> it's like it's been a day for for Jeff for for some reasons and for me for other reasons. But the one thing that Jeff and I as human beings can come together on is that it's been a day. And sometimes you just have days. Sometimes you just have weeks. Jeff, do you know? And I know this is meant to be a monologue, but this is going to be a small call and response. Jeff, do you know what happened yesterday? Do you know what the um, shall we say highlight of Friday afternoon was for me? No, what was it? It was when I on Twitter pointed out that uh, in August, the Marvel Comics 1000 uh, issue was Marvel's second best-selling comic of the of the month. And I said, you know, that this is either shows that it severely underperformed the million-seller mark that C.B. Sabalski uh, predicted, or that Absolute Carnage issue 1, which outsold it, sold more than a million. <laughs> and Jeff... What do you think followed that? What do you think followed that tweet? Um, I suspect did somebody didn't actively claim that that it sold that what was it? Absolute Carnage sold more than a million copies, did they? No, but a Marvel comic creator did pop into my DMs to tell me that it was very disappointing and disheartening oh. to see me continually go after. <laughs> Unquote, Marvel Comics a thousand because and Jeff this was the logic used by this creator who I'm not going to mention because a lot of people worked hard on it and Jeff let me just share this this piece of of I'm not going to call it wisdom I'm just going to call it opinion let me share this piece of of thought from my brain bubble if you will mm-hmm. people work hard on a lot of shit <laughs> I would like to think. 
that people work hard on, on you know almost everything that yes. gets put in there to sure. entertainment. Right. You know, I don't. I genuinely don't think that people half-ass everything, and especially don't think that everyone involved in every project half-asses it. I think it's fair to say that everything that's out there, at least one person has worked hard on. Sure. I also think that someone working hard on something doesn't mean it's not bad. That's I think true. someone working hard on something doesn't mean you can't criticize it. And I also think that just because someone worked hard on it doesn't mean if you say, wow, that was promoted by someone saying it's going to sell a million copies and it sold less than a million copies. Hmm, isn't that weird? Doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going after it per se. That's how my week ended. And Jeff, I'm just going to put this out there. That was a good way of how the week felt. Oh, to dear. have unnamed Marvel Comics creator uh, basically go, people worked hard on it, why you got to be a hater? And to have a back and forth with me basically be like, I'm not being a hater. I don't care that people worked hard on it. People work hard on everything. That's not a defense against bad things. There are things that you, unnamed Marvel Comics creator, have criticized, and I'm sure people worked hard on that as well. Only for it to end, by the way, with uh, Marvel unnamed Marvel comic creator say, essentially, you know what? I'm too close to this. I shouldn't have come to you in the first place. I didn't respond because my response would have been, you know what? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not very gracious. So I, I thought back to the truism that if you can't say anything nice, get a podcast. No, wait. If you can't say anything nice, <laughs> say anything at all. And so I just didn't respond to that. Jeff? It's not been 35 minutes, but I'd like to think that in the five minutes or so that I've been telling the story to you and to our listener whatnot chums, that um, what I genuinely know has been quite a day for you is at least letting sort of thinking slightly into your brain so that you'll be able to have a conversation. All of this is to say whatnot. I'm babbling. Uh, and it's been kind of nuts. Oh, also, like weirdly, last night someone threw a firework at my house. What? I was someone threw a firework at my house. I mean, like literally, I looked to have to look out the door at the moment where it exploded, and the firework exploded on my porch. Oh, which is kind of scary. Yeah, yeah, that's um, kind of terrifying. Now, wait, just I, I'm of, saying. Oh, sorry, I I, sorry, I just have to check. A yes. did this firework incident? happen after the direct messages were exchanged from a yes. certain Marvel creator? Did, did I think that the Marvel, Com- I, the Marvel Comics creator uh, I'm, I was talking to does not live in Portland, Oregon? It's possible he managed to get a, a, a gang together, uh, you know, some true believers who were willing to go out there and throw fireworks at my house. It's unlikely. He, I don't think he knows literally my address. But, you know, who who can say? Who is, can say? Is is it Rose City Comic Con this weekend? It is Rose City Comic Con this weekend. Nonetheless, the Marvel Comics creator is not in time for Rose City Comic Con, Jeff. I like that you're trying to draw inferences. No, uh, this was not an act of, of Marvel-inspired vandalism. Okay. I do like the idea that there could be something like Marvel-inspired oh, vandalism. Oh, I'm still going on it, Graham. I'm not giving it up. You don't know that the person's not in town. You're just assuming that the person's not in town. Uh, that's true. It's actually, like, is it, is it possible that the person could have flown to Portland? Yes. Um, however, I do know that those who threw the fireworks were three teenage boys. So unless said Marvel Comics creator either hired or transformed into three teenage boys, it is not that Marvel Comics creator. Is it possible that the Marvel Comics creator was in fact 
three teenage boys wearing a trench coat during their career as a Marvel creator? It we, is as possible as they are triplicate girl from the Legion of Superheroes. I'm I'm not I have to say part of me is not quite sure how to process that information. So I'm like, <laughs> what? like that's like fifty fifty? Like I don't <laughs> I'm really I'm really gonna get I, I kinda see where you're going, but I I think I personally I think you're you're being far too gullible, Graham. Hashtag uh, I, beware the deep state. So anyway, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, so so what? A, um, the entire point of that story, besides uh, actually venting that someone worked harder in this comic, is not a valid defense against criticism, and it actually angers me mm-hmm. that that someone would argue that it it is because honestly, people work hard and shit all the time. That's true. But, like, of course they do, and honestly, if you value their hard work, then you should talk about what's wrong. Like you should like you you should it's, it feels patronizing to say, well you meant well. So Scram, I just yeah. I, I just oh, want to ask. Yes. Sorry, I'm... yes. Sorry, there was one more argument that oh, was made. Of course. Oh my. Okay. Was when you criticize something like Marvel Comics a thousand, uh it means that other people in the future won't want to do it. Something like it again. Hmm. So that that sort of makes it sound like Marvel Comics One Thousand was a charity project where people weren't paid a page rate, you know? Like I'm sort of like, <laughs> I'm sure people were paid. I, uh, from yeah, those. part of me is yeah. like kind of like, uh, I have bad news for you, Marvel creator. If you've been doing all of your Marvel comics for free stop that immediately like that's not that's that's actually not how the marketplace is supposed to work i mean considering considering the wages for many it's just about how the marketplace works in many cases but it's not how it's supposed to work so don't do that don't do that so anyway that's that's um wow graham this is great when i ask for you to vamp there's another there's (laughs) another thing that happens but i can't say it without oh, naming names please. um but let, let me just say that the friday thing was kind of a bookend to a monday thing mm. oh no a tuesday thing as it, as it was um but i start with the week thing that that really was like my patience with certain attitudes <laughs> from some people within comics yes. was remarkably thin this week <laughs> <laughs> like really impressively thin got it got it which makes sense makes sense yeah. i you know to f- anyway I, I never finished what i was going to say which is i was honestly just playing for time because you actually have had like a kind of fucker of the last couple of hours Ugh, yeah which is why we're recording and you know let's not go into specifics for all number of reasons but uh i guess all i'm saying is jeff feel free to close this episode what not let jeff close this episode <laughs> it's it's been a, a a hell of a day for him thank you I think yes. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm I the thing that bums me out is part of me was like, oh, this will be a great ton of material to talk about on the podcast. But it's it's a little too soon for that, yeah, everyone. It's really not. It's yeah. not no, it's not. <laughs> See, this is where you and I, I disagree. Am, I'm like, no, I'm this is firmly, great. I am firmly of the theory, and you know this, that the podcast does not get our, our, all of our lives. 
There are things that we don't have to share with everyone. Sorry, Whatnuts. I genuinely do draw a line. I'm sorry. And but see, that's what, it. Because what you my... draw the line and we're co- and I'm codependent, I have to overextend myself, Graham. So they get one fully disclosive, you know, it averages okay. out. All I'm going to say is, if you, if you really wish to disclose this, can we at least wait until it's in the rearview mirror as yes. opposed to actually happening? Absolutely. Absolutely. Agreed. What's great is everyone's going to be like, what? It, uh, what it's, it's Jeff. You'll probably know in like three episodes' time. <laughs> I, I, Realistically, probably not drug, but next episode, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it, it depends. Let's put it this way. It could be uh, – I expect that you'll hear about it one way or the other before the end of the year. That's all I'm going to say, and I think that is – maybe that's being too, like, generous, but I already basically discussed with Edie when I would feel comfortable talking about some of this stuff, and she was really? – Yeah. And she, <laughs> she, like, just don't. Yeah, kind of. Well, she actually said, no, don't, and then God bless her, she said, what am I saying? This is literally, like, the only part of your life where I don't feel like I should – I can give you my opinion and i was like damn straight <laughs> so so yeah so that's sort of that says so much in so many ways i think maybe not <laughs> good things about my marriage i hope it, good it's, things. A, it's a whole illustration yeah it is it is indeed so uh uh graham uh one thing i wanted to say is we should in theory we should talk about comics um there's a few things i want to Talk Come on, about I, I've, I've already given some, like, wonderful gossipy pitchery. Right. And, like, we're, we're, like, ten minutes into the episode. It's very vague, though. Hey, so speaking of gossipy bitchery, um, I really enjoyed the latest issue of Powers of Ten, which is issue four. I, I, yes, I also enjoyed it while also being, like, this motherfucking comic. Yeah, right? I literally enjoyed the Mr. Sinister parts. And that was it. Oh, you didn't enjoy the other stuff that followed, huh? Nah, not really. The Mr. Sinister stuff, which did include that fabulous uh, two pages of intertextual gossip, was great fun. But yeah, I know what you mean. The rest of it is kind of like, it's, it's, it's redeeming value was very much of the... Uh, uh, I don't know how to discuss it without spoilers, but essentially that whole f- storyline that takes place a thousand years in, or maybe it's a hundred. I think it's a thousand years. No, in. it's a thousand. A hundred yeah. was the was the the more reveal. Oh, like okay. The... Right. Okay. Great. So yeah, thousand thousand years out. The thing that uh, struck me as interesting is my vague memory of like, wait, is this supposed to? make me think of this character and this character because that makes me think of this character and this character and that's that but apart from that that's all i got but the mr sinister stuff was pretty great it's interesting you didn't like the rest of it so i mean that's probably going to that's probably going to trip me up now a lot of people have said and i don't know if this is true hopefully you will know that uh, Mr. Sinister, who is a character that I have literally never paid attention to, that I seem to think, and I can never keep straight, popped up in the X-Men 
after I stopped reading was closely tied to the whole Madeline Pryor reveal doing undoing thing, if I'm not mistaken. But was the character sort of more of a generic supervillain until Karen Gillan came in and did the Yes, kind of question mark. Okay. Mr. Sinister has the greatest backstory, like metatextual backstory, mm. which is Mr. Sinister was created by Chris Claremont and showed up in, I'm going to say this and someone's going to tell me I'm wrong, but somewhere around like X-Men 221. Mm-hmm. Uncanny X-Men 221. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the he was immediately introduced as like the guy behind the Marauders who were the, the team that did the Mutant Massacre. Right. Um, and as you could see from even from Powers of Ten, like has this wonderfully like camp over the top, like glam look. Right. You know. Right. Um, when he's first appeared, when he his, his the first appearance of him, you also see he's got like hilarious shark teeth and shit. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a really over the top design. Right. Claremont had a whole backstory about him that he never got to do mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And in Claremont's backstory, Mr. Sinister was literally a child's idea of a supervillain made real. Oh, wow. Hence, hence the dumbness of the name Mr. Sinister as well. Mm, I see. And it never came true. I can't remember if it's because Claremont changed his mind or editorial said no or Ed, Claremont was off the book. But it never happened. It's I like see. one of these famous things that never happened. Mm. Um, but – even when Claremont's writing him in the first few times, he is he's chewing the scenery, but chewing the scenery in a fairly generic way. Right, right. You know, like you must not disobey me. Right. In but a, not yeah. like the hilariously arch camp yes. that Hickman is, which is even a stage further of, of what Gillen was doing. Oh okay. and Gillen Gillen does a really fun Mr. Sinister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but like Hickman's is, and you can see this like he appears for like one panel in Secret Wars as well, in Hickman's Secret Wars, where he basically shows up and he's like super villainy, so trashy. Yes, <laughs> like, it's great. Um, but like, but Gillen had him being like this egotistical, you know, kind of camp character, but Hickman really pushes it further. Oh my god! Well, it was delightful. It was delightful. Right down from, you know, that just that fabulous magneto and professor x show up and a guard is like halt you must oh and you have a cape how adorable and that was just from right there on it was just it was great it was fabulous um yeah those those three pages or so were absolutely uh fantastic so it, it it's amazing what it you know what i can get sold on uh also i have to say and feel free to jump in otherwise. Uh, I've, I thought that Gwenpool Strikes Back issue two, which is Gwenpool and Deadpool and is being written by, is it Kelly Williams? It's, it's Leah Williams. Leah think, Williams. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I get that. I screw up the names because I'm an idiot. Uh, I I thought the first issue was pretty pretty amusing, but kind of like, meh, okay, not quite, meh, but all right, I'll stick on it. And then the second issue was like, I was like, oh, this is really funny. It's very, it's utterly meta in a different way from what they were doing in the first run by Christopher Sabella, but still quite good. And uh, I liked it. I gotta say, I liked it. And as long as I'm talking about things that I like in a very dashed off kind of way in the hopes of getting something for you to attach slash attack me on, 
uh, Batman issue 78, which you had read previously, and you were like, I really liked it. It really brought it back in for me. It's a strong issue. I'm like, Graham, you're always moving these targets. I read it. I also have to say I thought that that was actually a very strong issue of uh, of Batman by uh, Tom King and Clay Mann. And I'm going to tell you, bizarrely, the next issue of Batman is out next week. I don't know why it's, like, it's weekly all of a sudden, <sighs> but it is. Mm-hmm. The second part of that story is out this week. Um, and it holds up. It's the second part of that story. Mm. Uh, it's a two-part interlude. It's still King and Man. And I it, I really liked it, and it pays off the it pays off the issue that we both liked, mm-hmm. but also it pays off a running gag from since Catwoman has been in the book, mm. um, and it pays off in a way that honestly is uh, sweet and and emotional in the way that King can be when he is not being depressing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that there's bits of Mr. Miracle that show that King is actually very sentimental. Mm. Um, and the, the payoff for the, for the, the gag is, is along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I loved it. I genuinely loved it. I think this two-parter has been lovely. And, and, it continues to be lovely. Gives me a great deal of hope for Batman Catwoman, which is the same creative team. Um, and also, like, kind of prepares me for the inevitable gut punch that's going to be Batman gets back into Gotham and finds out Alfred's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know if you've seen the solicits for December, but the the solicit for King's last issue of the, of Batman like makes a point of saying that Alfred's dead. Well, see that one <laughs> almost, thing. Almost yeah. As if they're like, we're really not turning it back. You guys. Right. Right. Which, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that, that goes. Cause of course, I guess now that it's been out for a bit, two weeks or four weeks or whatever, the ending of issue 77, which does look like Alfred does indeed get killed is is a pretty bracing shocking moment but it is also very hard to imagine it sticking so yeah un- unless it does do you know what i mean like my honestly my first thought was oh my god that's a big deal my second thought was is this an outsider bit mm. remember mm-hmm. it was killed off fucking years ago like decades ago well see that's it yeah, I think and it, it back as the outsider, and I'm like, is this an outsider bit? Yeah. Like, is 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 this a the setup for something? And then someone, I can't remember who, was more or less like, or it could just be like an outright lie, mm-hmm. like it could be a psycho pirate thing. Right, right. Yeah, that's actually that, a really that, good point. That well. we're seeing it from yeah. from Robin's from Damien's point of view, right? Which is again completely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I immediately read it like for the first, first time as as legit right. as real yeah yeah um because and this is me being like mm, this is what i think he's doing i think alfred would have been written at the book anyway because i think that king is going to marry off bruce wayne and, and selena kyle mm-hmm. i i just think that's where he's going mm. i think honestly that's where he's clearly been going since before the wedding Mm-hmm. Even before that, she walks out. Right. I, th- I thought it's been fairly obvious that he intends to leave the two of them together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he even did the annual with the flash forward, well, where sure. they're married. You mm-hmm. know, right. 
which which felt like as you know a fairly strong indicator that that's where he wants it to go. And so if you are marrying the two off, then you write Alfred out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know. It's funny because I'm sort of like, oh, you know, killing off Alfred is a much stronger um, change in the status quo than Batman getting married to Catwoman. Well, sure, yeah, because you can divorce Batman. Sure. But of course, and part of me is like, it's the DC universe. Like, they can reboot themselves. They have in the past. It's all baked in. Honestly, like, you know, Doomsday Clock feels like it's heading towards a reboot. Yeah, uh, which would be hilarious. Let's put it this way. I genuinely, I would not be surprised if that's, if that is where it's going. Well, it's, where is, you know, I think as you and I have talked about, part of me is like, yeah, but since that reboot is happening in a way, in a book that, that they don't have any interest in paying attention to, <laughs> I, I sort of feel like it will be happening in Scott Snyder's Justice League instead. But yeah, sure. Well, fair enough. Uh, I, I might have said this. Question mark. Uh, when I talked to Scott Snyder last year's San Diego Comic Con, mm-hmm. um, he all but said that like they were going to reboot the universe at the end of his run. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's the you know like yeah. and everything everything that they're saying about you know the, the what's it called Justice Doom or whatever it's called yeah and all of those things makes it feel like there's at least going to be quite a bit of like, we've changed the history to fix this again. Yeah. You know, like Lex Luthor is currently a human Martian hybrid mm-hmm. and Martian Manfortress is dead. Mm-hmm. You know, like neither of those things are sticking. Right. Right. Yeah. No, right. So yeah, I, I suspect that compared to, you know, a late shipping book, that is sort of turned into a big pile of porridge from someone who used to have the um, executive clout to mandate that it was the lead in to the reboot and now no longer does, as opposed to DC's golden boy who has, you know, successfully chained larger and larger, um, events into a big mega thing which is sort of the way dc kind of likes to roll i think uh, yeah i would i would definitely put my money on it on on snyder snyder's storyline being the one that leads to a reboot other than oh yeah yeah Doomsday like Clock. If, if if you had to take bets on who is dc going to go with at this point jeff johnson scott snyder they're gonna go with scott snyder yeah i think so too I think so too. Like he's writing Justice League. Yeah, that's enough of a clue in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, and also he's writing Justice League where he got to bring back the Justice Society first. Right. Like he literally took one of the story beats. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. Between that and Legion, more or less coming together under his stuff and Bendis, yeah, yeah, it just seems way. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, the 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 it, like you said, it just seems like that's where the smart money would go. So this this is the point where I should say that um, this week I did read Doomsday Clock in its entirety mm-hmm. today, and I'm going to walk back some of my criticisms. No, from no, I know I genuinely am not about where the series has gone because mm-hmm. I still think issue eleven is 
it's the sign of someone going, I guess I'm just going to have to do info dumps in order to explain this. Um, and also, I think that the, the narrative momentum does just stumble in mm-hmm. 10 and 11 really badly. But I am going to walk back the idea that he completely drops storylines to the point where I think I thought he dropped them. He doesn't. Mm. Uh, some of them go to bad places, mm-hmm. uh, and some of them go to sort of pointless places. And there are big, um, uh, like sort of gimmies, uh, mm-hmm. in order to get where he wants to. I, is it okay with me to spoil things about Show Eleven now? It's been out for a week. Uh, for me, yes. For everyone else, okay, well, I'll definitely put it in the show notes. I guess. Um, it's. Rorschach, the new Rorschach, Reggie. Yes. Gets put in Arkham Asylum, escapes from Arkham Asylum. Right. There's a whole to do with, like, he meets up with, with Ozymandias, and he's accompanied by um, Johnny Thunder and Saturn Girl, and, you know, there's a whole to do. And then he's, he essentially gets dropped from the story, right? Mm-hmm. He discovers that Ozymandias has been lying to him, blah, 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 blah. He, he runs away for all intents and purposes. The gimme in issue 11 is Alfred, having read Rorschach's diary, the original Rorschach's diary, mm-hmm. somehow magically just finds him. Like, goes straight to where he is after reading it and is like, well, we always believed you. And, like, that sort of thing is really lazy and really shoddy. <laughs> you know, the idea that this guy has disappeared, but Alfred can just go and get him when he wants him, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just downright ridiculous. Um, you see Johns's hands a bit too obviously on like this is meant to happen, this is meant to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Superman just happens to get knocked out for the exact amount of time that he needs to be off stage. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that are, are are actually more obvious when you read it in a wonder. But and you, and also the it's much more obvious when you read it in one sitting that. John seems to have some plan for um, the marionette and the mime. Mm-hmm. But it, he also just lets them really drift to the back, like very dramatically. They are basically like some of the the, the primary protagonists of the series right. in the first half. Yeah. And then just aren't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I, I hope you have a point to them, but you have one issue to do it in now. Mm-hmm. You know, because like, because you do let them sort of slip towards the back in order to to concentrate on like the Superman theory. So reading in one sitting helps in a lot of ways, but also introduces all new problems. Like it really underscores the the, the legitimate problems that the book has. Mm. So it's one of those things where you're like, was this better for doing this? I mean, yes, and I remember the plot better, mm-hmm. uh, but also no because I realized that you know you literally just let that character drop to the side. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I I'm glad to know that about a read through. Of course, I I say that in a way that's sort of um, beside the point for me because I because I think I do uh, I you know reading it on DC Universe for free. I have to admit, part of me has been reading it sort of for the car crash factor. And every once in a while being like, oh, right, yeah, Johns, he's got a little bit more, as I said last episode, he's got a little bit more oomph to him than um, than I give credit to. Like, I, it's easy for me to forget, like, 
the the guy the guy's you know the guy's got some chops and it, and there were scenes in there like when you were saying that I'm like oh right I actually do remember the whole sequence with Rorschach in Arkham becoming friends with uh what's his diddle Killer Moth or whoever the oh no the, yeah that that's a, not even that no that's not even Arkham that's in in like the Watchmen oh universe, back in it? the Watchmen right yeah. exactly yeah. I thought I was like but wait that was the other Watchmen character that they that Moore had mentioned in passing or something okay thank you in any event I remember thinking that that was kind of charming right like i was like yeah you know what this is you know well, i'm not gonna mistake it for so so you read the whole thing in a wonder right right and you notice that john's takes the first six issues kind of slow and honestly i think the book is it's better for that yeah i think so right because right. you, you do get yeah. an issue like that which yeah. is kind of a character piece yeah right and, and has moments of sweetness right. and then you get to the second half of it and it's as if he's like, oh, shit, the series is halfway over. Right. Right. Well, which, again, is that thing that I think I, I mentioned, that he had gotten lured into the the fallen under the spell of the nine panel grid pacing, where it's like if you're doing nine panels, the way it makes it play, like the beats can be a, they have to be a little slower, I guess. And so what's nice is I feel like. It, they're easier to land, but the problem is, unless you are, you know, like more like layering every panel in with multiple things that you can with multiple implications. Uh, yes, exactly. Like for all that I don't like Watchmen. By the way, I got sent another copy of Watchmen by DC this weekend. Really? Wow. Yes, DC has now. Like in, let's say the last decade, mm-hmm. I won't say that I've received maybe seven copies of what. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's so funny. Um, th- this time they sent me the lenticular international edition, where the lenticular thing is Rorschach's mask kind of changes, uh, but really kind of changes. Uh, uh, they've clearly brought it out because the TV show, because at the back there's a, a Damon Lindelof quote on it. Um, uh, but. Don't hit me, Dad. Damon Lindelof. Exactly. I'm sorry, Dad. Just notice me. Um, <laughs> David Duchovny, why won't you love me? For Dave. all that I I don't like Watchmen. Like, there's no denying that Moore is very deliberate in everything he does. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. ev- everything serves a purpose. Right. And Johns is not that writer. And he can try to be that writer. Yeah. And there's a lot in, especially the early issues, where he's really trying to be the writer. Mm-hmm. At times, to the point where it's funny for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Um, but he's not that writer. Mm-hmm. And so, especially now, when there's one issue left, and there's so much there that does hasn't landed. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you know, with the best will in the world... I can't imagine it landing in even a double-sized issue final. Right. You know? um, that you're like, yeah, he, he's, you know, he swung with the fences, but he missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Graham, like, you know, I just realized I think this is very important, although perhaps a little um, uh, too late, but maybe not, since we're we're sort of talking about Doomsday Clock missing and also sort of 
grousing about the Marvel Comics creator. I have to say I was very heartened by your Twitter thread on, I don't know if it was Thursday, I think it was Friday, where you were basically asking people what books from DC and Marvel were being slept on. And Oh my God, people, like there was a lot of consensus. Yeah, yeah. Tell me more about that. Okay, so uh, in, uh, pretty immediately there was a very quick movement where people were like, Runaways is being slept on. Mm-hmm. It's a great book, Runaways is being slept on. And to be honest, I'm sleeping on it. Mm-hmm. I've read maybe the first two arcs and that's it. Um, other ones, Hawkman, a lot of people mentioning Hawkman from DC. A mm-hmm. lot of people. But also Robert Venditti's other current DC book, Freedom Fighters. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of mentions there as well. Um God, there's another Marvel one that people get mentioning that I can't remember for the life of me. I can't. Were, what it, was it? Invaders. Invaders, yeah. A lot of people are mentioning Invaders as well, which is interesting because Invaders and Freedom Fighters feels mm-hmm. like an interesting crossover, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, but what's really nice is, as much as anything, and honestly, the reason I did it was I wanted people to say nice things about comics. Yes, I really – I was going to ask like, why I, you did it, but I'm glad that I you did. Of, I kind of just wanted people to say, I like this comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? What was funny, question mark, was I actually said in the original tweet, like, tell me why it's good. Yes. And a lot of people didn't. Yeah. And that was when it started getting kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know? People just like I think that you know, and the other thing was like some people name things that I think just aren't getting slept on. Someone actually suggested Doomsday Clock, and I wanted to be like it's one of the top selling comics from DC. Right, I don't think it's been slept on. But you would, uh, but would you say that Deathstroke is still being slept yes. on? Right, yeah. A lot of people mentioned Deathstroke as well. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, it was it was nice. It was nice to have a lot of people be complimentary about comics. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I'm really heartened to hear that's sort of why you did it because i i really like the responses i like the thread and i also had that moment of like oh i'm i'm curious as to why graham is doing this uh and that's good to hear i will also say on sort of a you know as long as we're in good time charlie mode um hopefully this is not the person who is giving you shit in your dms but Gail Simone had a very lovely little thread on Twitter about like the 25 reasons, 25 things that she likes about working in comics. Um, and oh, I don't I know if you that. saw that. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't even follow her. Someone uh, who, you know, in my timeline does and retweeted like three or four of the tweets. And I think I looked at the rest or as many as I could before I got called in the other direction. And I, I thought that they were really genuinely good compelling sweet things so i'll see about getting that tweet and your tweet and throwing them in the show notes so that people can click through and check those out but i a i thought that that was uh just just like a little moments of like ah ah thank god it's not it's not it's not all shit posting you know so um but i do you (sighs) Part of me, part part of the reason I put that out was the it's not a shit posting. Like genuinely, yeah. I just want people to tell me things that they like. Sure, which I think is great. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, because sometimes, not that like I got exhausted by shit posting, but like I said, like this thing happened on Tuesday, right. which was, uh, which which was was kind of Monday and Tuesday, which is kind of the problem. Like it was literally the last thing on Monday, first thing on Tuesday, um, and it was started off being frustrating. Mm-hmm. And ended up being annoying. Mm-hmm. 
um, purely because of the actions of one person in particular being a shit. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and and that really left a bad taste in my mouth. And honestly, kind of left a bad taste in my mouth for a couple of days. That's what you said. So yeah. it was just one of it was just one of those like you know, if only that person had, uh, like not been so obviously a shit. Mm-hmm. Like not being like rubbing your nose in it shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just like, fuck, fuck, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, but that was the, I just want people to say things that they like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And part of it is also when I did the Eisners last year, I, I ended up like back in love with comics. Mm-hmm. Right? Because just read things that you love. Right. I took them wrong. I read a lot of shit as well. Sure. But it, amongst the shit, I'd find things I'd never heard of. And that blew me away. Mm-hmm. That I just loved on, on like a molecular level. Um, and there's something about that positivity and also about the judging weekend. Mm-hmm. Where it is just like, there's so much positivity that you come away being like, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. Like there are the shit posters. There are the just the, like the complete bullshit artists. There are the people that go out to not necessarily hurt, but go out for themselves mm-hmm. and don't give a shit about any collateral damage, right? You know, or who see the world through such a particularly cynical viewpoint that they think everyone is as cynical as they are, mm-hmm. um, and they will exist, and that's fine. But there's also this great stuff out there and there's like genuine enthusiasm and there's genuine love and seeing people say things like Invaders is amazing because makes me go, I should revisit, I should actually revisit Invaders. Mm-hmm. I read the first issue, really do anything for me, but these people love it. Right. You know, or yes, thank fuck people are talking about Hawkman because Hawkman is a really solid book hmm. or, you know, I'm glad people are talking about Deathstroke. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, it's true. Priest is going to do a fifty-issue run on Deathstroke, which is nuts. Yeah, and it's not really dropped in quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so it was. It was that. It, it is the sort of like I do just want like good shit for a change, mm-hmm. just for little. Just give me something positive and good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's good. Well, uh, I should mention uh, that I read the five issue run of Mars Attacks by uh, Kyle Starks and Chris uh, Schweitzer um, that is was on sale recently through uh, Dynamite's recent hit sale. I picked up every book for, you know, what should be 99 cents if you're not a Comixology Unlimited member. And um, it it was that was that was quite a ride. Part of it was uh, Starks himself had talked about how strongly he felt about that arc, that that story that he did with Schweitzer. He really was like, this is one of my, I think, top three stories. And considering hit the other two stories that he listed are my favorite things from Starks, I was like, okay, I gotta exactly this This is clearly something i should investigate yeah and it on the one hand i don't think that it's perfect but for me i'm not necessarily a big fan of mars attacks i'm just it's just it's a licensing property that leaves me pretty cold 
in a way, you know, but fair enough. I, I you know, but Starks who, and Schweitzer who craft a five issue storyline about two survivors of the Martian invasion, you know, an elderly retiree who's a former Marine Corps sergeant, I think, and his son, who's basically a lovable underachiever um, on the run was really, was really just kind of a, a, a lovely emotional arc. It's, it's not a stretch to say for me anyway, that I think that it's kind of better than Mars attacks deserves. Um, You know, (laughs) interestingly enough for literally years now, um, I have had on my comiXology wish list, the Mars attacks Popeye crossover issue that IDW did Uh, a Mm -hmm. few years back, you know, where they were like, oh, we've got Mars Attacks and we're going to cross them over with our other licensed books, which I was like, oh, that sounds crazy. And of course, Mars Attacks Popeye. I'm like, that seems super crazy. It's drawn by Terry Beatty, who is, you know, I remember is the guy who drew Ms. Tree Tree with a certain... um, I don't know. I was going to say waxy appeal. Like his characters were always kind of stiff in a way that was like, oh yeah, it sort of basically works, but didn't really. But I kind, I yeah, I, I was going to say like I kind of love it though. Well, like he also did Wild Wild Dog, remember? Uh, right, Wild Dog, right, which I do love. But again, has a certain at least Wild Dog for me is. Um, yeah, it's stiff, but it's also crazy, and the stiffness only heightens the craziness. And what's interesting about Mars Attacks Popeye is Terry Beatty is, of course, doing it in the EC Cigar sort of Bud Sackendorf style, and it looks great. Like, it's, he's, I mean, he's not, like, my favorite sort of recent Popeye drawing guy i guess that goes to uh what's his name who draws the humans tom uh, you're on your own uh, shit anyway i'll look it up later hopefully you people will know what i'm talking about i keep wanting to say tom seeley but i know that my names have been bad tonight and i think that's not it anyway it's it's really well tom drawn neely? tom neely thank you not tom seeley jesus thank you Tom Neely. So close. Yeah, yeah. His, the issues that he drew of Popeye and also his uh, doppelganger indie comic, uh, which is just him drawing Popeyes in conflict with Popeyes and Popeyes, is fucking fabulous. Um, anyway, Beatty's is great. The script is a little eh, but I mean, again, I kind of had that thing of having read it. I was like, eh, what are you really going to do? It's kind of mars attacks you know what i mean i mean part of it is popeye is kind of hard to nail down link linguistically i don't think that the the writer managed to get the dialogue right but all of which is to say it really made me go jesus this mars Attacks storyline is really strong like if you filed the mars attack serial numbers off of it you really have a, a pretty funny story about 
you know, a father's, it would sort of be like a father-son road trip movie, except, you know, the road trip is them fleeing an invasion with with one of them having to be, you know, put in a wheelbarrow so that the, the other one can actually, you know, so that they can run as fast as possible. Good stuff. I also want to mention, uh, wait, yes, yo, ooh, no. before you move on, yes. I want to say that I've read that as well. And I really, really liked the Mars Attacks series. They oh, did. good. Um, one of the things I like is kind of a spoiler, but something happens in issue four that I did not expect mm, mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, and dramatically impacts the story. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a major moment in the second last issue. Yeah. That even though I read them, in one like you, because I, yes. I, because it was you were like, hey, you can buy them all cheap, and I was like, ah, really? Um, it's still like it, it created this anticipation for the final issue that I just hadn't expected. Yes. it was so out of nowhere. Yeah, that that really was this, this like really like, oh, holy shit! Like, mm-hmm. it, uh, it sort of underscored the emotional intensity of the story that honestly I hadn't really appreciated until then. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Well, like, like it, it. it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like a shits and giggles comic, and I, I mean that in a good way. Yes, I, I think the star is actually a very funny writer, but it's kind of like it is kind of like a role movie, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then something happens in the second last issue, yeah, that changes that dramatically, mm-hmm. and and it really does go. Oh, I didn't realize that I am emotionally invested in this in the same way that I, I actually am. Yes, you know. Yep. Um, and it created this this very intense, uh, like, need for closure in this last issue that I just, you know, if you said that to me even three issues in, right. I wouldn't have fleeced it. No, absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing I want to say is Chris Schweitzer's, like, I've seen his art before and I like his art. Mm-hmm. I never realized until the series how close to Paul Gristy is to my mind. Oh, that's actually a great comparison. I was wondering who he reminded me of. And you're absolutely right. Kind of... I, I'm assuming he's an American, like an American Paul Grist, uh, in some ways. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. so like a really strong Paul Grist feeling mm-hmm. from his art, and I mean that as a compliment. I, oh, I yeah. like the book looks amazing. Yep. The book looks really, really good. Yeah, uh, I want to say you and I both read Starks talking about the series um, on his right. Patreon. I think that's right, mm-hmm. uh, and he he basically you know it made the the suggestion that like the series was horrifically slept on mm-hmm. you know and, and getting back to what what we were saying about me on twitter going hey what what dc and marvel books are being slept on like this book should have had a lot more attention i think so too because it, it, it you know first of all i think starks gets a level of attention for his image comics work that he definitely didn't for this mm-hmm. um and honestly like even for people who don't dig stark's work normally there's enough here, and Schweitzer's art is so good mm-hmm. that it's kind of like, no, this is a comic that a lot of more people should have been paying attention yeah. to. Yeah, I think so as well. I think so as well. So that was great. If anyone gets a chance to grab it wherever, however, it is a it is a very fun read. I'm really glad that I got to check it out. Another thing that sort of came my way uh, by chance is uh, Sarah Horrocks, who I follow on Twitter, and I think, as many people know, is kind of a, an exceptional writer about comics and actually writes and illustrates her own indie comics, uh, Was had some screenshots from a book called uh, Ryoko by Elder Yoshimizu. 
um, that is being published by Hard Case Crimes, which is a subdivision of Titan Books. Yes. Um, and so it had totally passed me by, but I was like, huh, I have not heard of this book. And the pages looked fantastic to me. So I went and checked it out because it's, you know, it's it's a tough girl hitman comic. And that's very much I was up like, my that's, alley. That's pretty much your thing. Yeah. And, and in a way, and it also reminded me very strongly in some of the panels in a way of uh, Die Wergelder, which is another book that Sarah Horrocks turned me on to, which is also a females who kick ass book. But what I find interesting is apparently, if I understand things correctly, although Yoshimizu, this is more or less his first comic. He's known in Japan primarily as a sculptor and kind of a fine artist. So, wow. That's yeah. Interesting. So he coming and doing this comic, one of the things is uh, that is super interesting and great is he draws uh, i'm going to i'm totally going to screw up his drawing influences but what's wonderful is his action sequences and his big um big action panels remind me of honestly like a japanese trevor von eden frankly like they're very super super expressionistic with multiple images laid out in a way that isn't natural to your eye but reinforces the it the to create the effect that you're supposed to that the people are feeling on the page and it's wonderful there sort of that thing of like there were scenes where i wasn't necessarily like literally i don't know who's shooting who in this panel but i know how everyone involved feels you know what i mean and it's yeah yeah. It's extremely visceral, incredibly uh, energetic, and just and and really exciting. Like it, I, I, I literally just looked up the tweet right now, and like some of these spreads are absolutely fucking amazing. Yeah. Okay. Good. Like, so. Genuinely, just yeah, yeah. Like really, really great. Mm-hmm. And what's really funny is, and this is this is one of those things where I'm like, it reminds me of, and you'll be like. Either you'll get it or you'll think I'm nuts. Mm-hmm. I get a really weird Paul Pope vibe from it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. Absolutely. Right, right, right. That's so funny because I spent a lot of time being like, uh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. There's also bits and pieces that really remind me of a number of other factors, like the influences are on the sleeve. But, yeah, I know what you mean about the Paul Popiness. It just it goes in very different ways i mean the second tweet uh she posted seriously is a gorgeous comic yeah there's uh there's two double page spreads there yes that are just like holy crap right and that like, was that is such a wonderfully confident artist exactly. and also like they nail it do you know what mm-hmm. i mean like like mm-hmm. there's moves there that you would never see someone in american comics do yes and they're just like breathtaking yeah Completely, completely. Um, I I honestly feel, although I could be wrong, looking at some of it and having looked at, say, things like um, 
you know, that amazing, uh, Bella, is it the Belladonna of infinite sadness? You know, that, um, er that erotic manga animated film from like 1974 that got a theatrical and DVD release like a year ago, which is wonderful, which I loved it. Like that sort of genre, the artist and other stuff in that school, I suspect sort of like, how do I put it? Like Shimizu and Pope are both going from that influence yes, yes, rather yes, than one exactly. from the other. They're, yeah. yeah. I don't think I don't think either of them are necessarily drawing influence from each other as much as yeah. they both went to the same school. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So so I just wanted to say that that was that was a... yeah I did I've, I didn't see that and then looking at the sweets up now like yeah I mean that looks amazing yeah yeah <laughs> legitimately those pages are enough to sell me on the book by themselves yes. even if I don't like their story yeah it's clearly going to be such a visually stunning book we will be like yep yeah. keeping going what's that you know turns out they're all alien shape changers who are actually robots okay let's see what's around the next page because it's probably going to be great yeah absolutely and i would say that that is very much that is that book like part of me put it down and i was like eh, it definitely doesn't have a a this or a that but in terms of just the sumptuousness and like you said the the confidence the kind of brio in the art holy god it was it was just a wonderful read um and I got to say, as long as I'm talking about stuff of things that are confident and and fun, like fucking Batman Universe issue three. God damn it. I'm like, there's it's, isn't it weirdly fun? Like, it, oh, so fun. You know, it's it's kind of amazing. Two things about it. One, I love that Bendis writes Batman kind not as a comedy character, but it's a very light book. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, it. I really like that because I think everyone expected Bendis to go, like, I'm doing Daredevil again, but with Batman. And he's really leaning the other way. Yes. Oh, you very know, much helped so. A lot, helped a lot by Darrington, who – Darrington's work is just lovely. It's so clean. I love his use of line. I love his use of space. Yeah. He's such a great cartoonist and specifically cartoonist. Yes. Do you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, he's not going for realism at all. Right. And his work's all the much better for it. Oh, yes. And I think he pulls out – a lightness in Bendis's work, and I think Bendis responds to it. Yes, very, very uh, much so. And you should mention, I think um, uh, uh, Dave Stewart, who does the colors, also yes, yes. is very much on the same page with that, and helps yeah. push that sort of pop brightness without making it be, um, you know, uh, it's it's not cliche. Garish. It's I mean, not yeah, garish. It's, it's not, not cliche. But it you pick up on it. You really pick up on, you know, Stuart uses a palette that's um, far closer to something like Darwin Cook's Final Frontier or something to really help underscore both the iconicness and the sense of you're you're really reading something that's that feels like you said feels cartooned in the best sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the the new frontier references is is a good one. Like the, in the the most recent issue, Batman's and Thanagar, mm -hmm. and like the palette of Thanagar mm -hmm. reads very like very much like Stewart's palette for. Um, this is a specific callback in New Frontier where Hal Jordan his plane crash lands. Yes, and he's brought face to face with the the enemy soldier. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. the palette's very similar there. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, it's really nice because it's almost pastel. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's playing against expectation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's it's also uh, it's it's complex. Yes. Do you know oh, what I mean? Like absolutely. you look at the skies, and the skies are kind of turquoise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like his yellows are kind of like a a, a a sandiness, a muddiness, but there's a warmth there. Right. Like like it's 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 really nice subtle colors that he's doing. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, visually the book's amazing, but writing as well, the book is just absolutely so much fun. It is. It is. It's. I think. Uh, I, yeah, it's definitely in like my I think top five most enjoyable reads, you know, month in and month out, and that's wonderful. And I'm so happy that it, like you said, um, it's like Bendis is taking his far his inspiration is much closer to the Brave and the Bold cartoon than mm-hmm. than say, you know, uh, Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee's Hush. Or something like that. You yeah, know? yeah. And yeah. and so it's just ah, I love it. I love the fact that it's sort of a Batman on a continuity, so he can do whatever he wants with it, and it's just rolling great. I really do like that a ton, a ton. Um, uh, something else I also really really like mm-hmm. is uh, you wouldn't have seen this, but he said it on social media. Someone was like, "Oh, what are you going to do? Take over the Batman book?" And he was like, "I'm doing my Batman book." Yeah, like I'm like when I'm done Batman Universe, like I've scratched my Batman itch. I've got more than enough other things to do. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I really appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, it is something like as much as as much as as um, Bendis's uh, plotting can still drive me up a wall, and it really matters less for me with Batman Universe for whatever reason, but. But things like Event Leviathan or Superman or Action or something like that. I really like how much Bendis associates DC with, so far anyway, with fun comics and having fun with comics. And I think that that I'm really incredibly grateful for that, you know. I've got to say, I know you don't like his Superman. Um, I reread all of his Superman, honestly, because I'm a massive Legion nerd, right? Right. And realizing that the the current, like the the opening arc mm-hmm. of of Superman is like a 15 part Legion prologue, mm. I was like, oh shit, I'm gonna reread this, <laughs> um, and I really dug it when I realized where it's going. Mm. If that makes sense. I I uh, do, but the, it I it, just but it, I I agree with you. When I didn't, mm-hmm. it seemed like it was meandering all over the place. And don't get me wrong, he doesn't take the direct route to getting where he's going at all. Right. But when you know where he's going, I think it's a much more again fun read. Yeah. See, this is my problem. Is um, and and this may just be that classic. Like you and I are a bit it loggerheads but i don't have a problem with the fun it's part of why i'm still picking up the titles i think it's more the fact that bendis kind of uses the ends to justify his means and to me his means are kind of you know the breezy the very breezy 
nature of it means that it's very surprising to the reader and to him, you know, to him. And so you don't necessarily see where things are going because in a way it doesn't feel like they're being telegraphed. Unfortunately, kind of what you were saying about the doomsday clock info dumps and saying that that's a huge, um, that really underscores how much John's missed the mark. That is to me, Bendis's regular resting place. He regularly misses the mark. I always wish that he could nail down his structure, do a, a separate pass, like just not write so many fucking books and and take the time to actually plot them better because that's ultimately what drives me crazy. When it's something like Batman Universe and the whole thing is, is like literally like, oh, we're not even going to show you what the hell's happening now on Thanagar because Batman's like got to go back to Gotham City. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just like, boop, nope, yeah. boop. Right, and that's yeah. perfect for that book and where it's at. But part of me is like, yeah, but that's sort of how Bendis does everything. And I just don't, <laughs> most of the time, I don't have patience with it. And like I said, there's that thing. And I feel like other people have definitely pointed it out. I think that Chad Nevitt was the guy who really underscored it for me because he's more of a Bendis fan and talking about reading these crossovers the big Bendis events and how they just chain each event only leads to the next big, Oh my God moment, which is the setting up of the next event. And so yes. that tr treadmill for me, there's a certain point where I'm like, that doesn't, it just, it doesn't, I can see where that would work for you. And that sense of like, Oh, this is all building to this. You didn't see it coming, but it also all feels organic how it grows out of it. But part of me is like, eh, yeah. So anyway, that, that is a shame. I wish I could enjoy that. Even something like uh, Event Leviathan, where I read issue four and I was kind of like, oh, shit, I wonder if he's doing this. Oh, crap. I wonder if he's doing that. And then I got to the end of the issue. And I'm like, oh, right. I don't have any answers. And this is still going to be dragged out like a. You know, I'm just going to be chafed by the end of Event Leviathan, and I should know that because it's a Bendis book. And that's sort of a shame, you know. For I'm me. I'm very curious where Event Leviathan is going. Mm. Um, for thing for reasons to do with things that I know and I can't say I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there, well, there's some stuff that is out there. Like, I don't know if you saw the solicits for DC's December books. No. But hilariously, the solicit for Lois Lane ruins uh, – it's a massive spoiler for Superman that month. Oh, wow. It's like a massive spoiler to the point where it must be intentional. Wow. But it doesn't seem to be. Like the Superman solicit actually says like on a big changing – like a big turning point in Superman's life. And the Lois Lane solicit is like and after Superman makes his identity public to the world. Oh, Jesus. And I was like – what yeah that, that's that's insane right. um but the lone slain arc specifically said that uh, also says like after the events of event leviathan mm -hmm. like it's a big thing for lois um and there's a suicide squad book launching in, in december mm -hmm. as well interesting um and i i did the announce kind of mm -hmm. for for the suicide squad um and because of that, I know things about Suicide Squad. Right. And I 
think things in Levent, Levent Leviathan might actually play into that more than I expected. Mm. Hmm. You know, and so there there is a lot of things where I'm like, oh no, I, I'm I'm into this. But you're right. I think I get a lot more out of the idea of like, um, this is going to this comic and this is going to this comic and like you know the you know what's it called the never ending saga, right? Never, whatever yeah. it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and specifically with DC, like because when it happens with Marvel, I just get exhausted because that's not my fan. <laughs> Right. No, really, it, it is though. It's it's literally a case of like it's not my fandom. Sure, sure. You know, I absolutely get it. I absolutely um, get it. Whereas with with DC and specific DC things as well, like you know, we were talking last week about Green Lantern mm-hmm. and Green Lanterns turn into Black Stars, and honestly, like that sort of thing is just exhausting. <laughs> you know, like there's there's something about that where I'm just like, uh, but you know, Superman leading to Legion, mm-hmm. Event Leviathan leading Suicide Squad, seems additive in a way that like green lantern changing to a different green lantern book doesn't well sure but you know there's something about that again jeff like you know my formative dc experiences are things like legends leading into suicide squad and justice league or millennium spinning out into new guardians right you know like some of my formative dc experiences are events that have you know spin-off books right Right. So I'm like, of course that happens. And, and we're back. And we're back. <laughs> Listeners, we're back. <laughs> it's a shame I don't do cold opens because you just say, and, and we're, we're back. back. We're back. We're back. <laughs> you know, Graham, I mean, this is an entirely... Um, uh, as nothing but a compliment. And this thing is, I'm 90% sure in our many years of podcasting, I've said this before, but just to say it again and to make it clear, Hollywood has utterly, utterly missed the ball by not choosing you to be the voice of the sexually androgynous killer robot on a spaceship. You know what I mean? Like, you've got a certain je ne sais Jeff, how. Jeff, mm-hmm. we've been doing this podcast for long enough now that I know that that is a trap to get me to say something ridiculous that Adam Nave will then turn into a ringtone. Oh, yeah. That's and true. All I'm saying is this. No. Get thee behind me, Satan. Oh. No. No. This is why we can't have nice things. Can't you just say... I'm sorry, Dave, I can't let you do that. Can you just... I Obviously, the joke would be to say, I'm sorry, Jeff, I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> but <laughs> the sad fact is, I say that a lot. Do you? Dude, there's something about how, in particular, the I'm sorry, Dave thing, that like I really, for some reason, do find myself saying and thinking... A lot when things go wrong. No, you're shitting me. You're just no, saying I, this to make me feel no, better. No, I don't I, think I've I, ever heard I, you really say it, though. I, I, here's the thing. I never say it to anyone. I say it to myself. Oh, my God. This no, is the greatest I, thing I, ever. I, really? I, I really don't say it to other people, but when shit goes wrong, like, especially if shit goes wrong in the work day, for example, the Tuesday bullshit. Yes. I really was doing a lot of like, I'm sorry, Dave, I, I'm afraid I can't open the doors, like all of that shit in my head. No. 
Oh, yeah. Graham, you've made me so happy. That should be the ringtone. Oh, Graham, you've made you've me made so, so happy. That is excellent. That is the best thing that I've. I want to say the best thing that I've heard today, but but frankly, That's it's not true. Yeah, it's probably For in the top three. What nuts will find out in like three to six months? It's great. Everyone's like Jeff's having a baby. Uh you're having my baby. What a beautiful way to say. You have my baby. I don't even really remember if that's how the song goes. I I, I don't even know if that's the song, but also part of me is like, you really have it quite a day. Yeah. Normally I have to convince you to just break into song. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Whereas now I'm just like, bang! I got to mention everybody, Graham, Graham, everyone. Uh, I read volume <laughs> I, two. Just because everybody, Graham, Graham, everyone. Yes. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to mingle. Blank Canvas, my so-called artist journey, is three volumes. No, maybe it's five volumes. But only the first two have been translated uh, into English and are published by, I think, Seven Seas. Um, yeah, Seven Seas has published them. Uh, story and Art by uh, Kiko Higashimura, who is the superstar artist who did uh wrote and drew princess jellyfish which was a huge hit and god i'm gonna screw the name up toka takaban tokyo girls this is what i get for not doing my research beforehand people just look her up on the internet people already know princess jellyfish she is doing blank Kevis, my so-called artist journey is a story of you know her uh memoir so to speak of becoming an artist and it is fucking fabulous it is such a brilliantly self excoriating warts and all portrait of the artist as a self-absorbed spoiled young person essentially the it's so written so well from the the tone is so perfect of someone looking back on their life and their story and having to actually be honest like there's one point in volume two where she 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 tells a story about herself and then it cuts back to her in the present day thinking about it and slamming her head into the desk and it's just it's so it's and it's so deserved it's so perfectly honest um that it it is itself like just a perfect artistic achievement i adore it so much in its unflinchingness of the narcissism and insecurity and unconscious self-sabotage and foolishness of someone who's trying to journey and all the more so because it is also a love letter to her sensei the the guy who trained her to draw in high school who took an interest in her career and went out of her way went out of his way to help her and she of course just was a just kind of treated not like a total not totally horribly but just horribly enough 
that it feels absolutely emotionally honest and wrenching and you know and is but is wrenching in the sort of the best sort of um you know genuinely touching heartwarming sense like it's it is a book that is somehow gentle and pitiless in the in the best ways and i just i really did i read volume i enjoyed volume one enough to where it's like oh i should get volume two now that it's out but it had been so many months i'm like i just sort of remember liking volume one but i don't necessarily remember why and i started exactly yeah I, I have warm feelings about this and i don't remember why exactly and i and i started reading it and i'm like oh oh genius oh this is this is great it really is one wonderful. I mean, it helps that, you know, her sensei more or less is the classic crusty curmudgeonly type. So it's kind of like, oh, she kind of has like Wolverine as an artistic mentor, you know, but it's and so in that sort of way, it's just it's it's phenomenal. I really I I I read it and just, I don't know, you know, basked in it. It really was fabulous. So recommended to you, Graham. Hopefully you can find a copy in the library. Recommended to you, the listeners, uh, especially, like I said, uh, on Twitter. If you're of any kind of creative bent or have had creative training and or have struggled and eat, whether you won or lost that struggle, it is it is so worth a read through. Oh. I yeah, it, it it sounds fascinating. To be yeah. honest, it, it sounds really good. I I read something this week. Actually, I read it last week, but I reread it this week for for work reasons. It's, it's not out yet. It's coming out in uh, the end of this month, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Safe Sex, the the announced oh. for Vertigo now coming out through Image. Right. Uh, Tina Horn, Mike Dowling book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, <laughs> you'll love it. Yeah, you'll love it. Because not only is it the um, sex worker thriller that – I, I sound like I'm being sarcastic when I'm saying this. The sex worker thriller that everyone wanted and didn't realize they wanted. Uh, it's also a comic about gentrification and specifically gentrification of the Bay Area. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, I would like to read that. Yeah, it's. I really, really dug it. I I like it a lot. Uh, I got to read the first two issues, not just the first issue. Mm-hmm. And I've got to be honest, reading the first two issues was better than just reading the first issue. Mm. So I'm going to recommend that everyone reads the first issue. And it's like, eh, I'm not sure. Hangs on for the second issue. Wow. Um, But there's a lot to really, really, really like in there. It's... It's kind of funny. Reading through it, I kept on having this moment of there was no way Vertigo was going to publish this comic. Right, right. <laughs> like, really, there's no way Vertigo was going to cover this, would have published this comic. Mm. Uh, but also, I'm really happy it exists. I feel It feels like a comic that needs to be out there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's putting really interesting things out into uh not only sort of like dystopian space but also like comics the comic space as well it mm. it's i i really 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 liked it i i thought it was a, a super strong first couple of issues huh um and so i i read it cuz i'm i'm interviewing horn about it and her responses to my questions mm-hmm. just made me go oh you're fucking great <laughs> <laughs> like even if I hadn't liked this comic so much, you're fucking great. Wow. 
if only because she's so like there's parts where I was like, you know, is this an allegory for such and such? And she's pretty much like, fuck allegories. <laughs> this is not allegorical. Like I fucking mean it. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you're fucking great. Like you're yeah, you're genuinely really kind of awesome. Um yeah, I, I I really I I was it was one of the books that when they announced it way back when I mean remember it was announced with like Border Town <laughs> right Hell, like that yeah. long ago uh, and Second Coming and you know and mm-hmm. and the Zoe Quinn book and everything I was that was one of the ones I was most excited about mm-hmm. and then it just vanished and then all of a sudden it showed up in the image solicits but it's it's good it lives up to the hype I'd built up in my head about it I really really liked it. Mm. Mm. I'm very, very glad to hear that. Huh. Interesting. Well, I will keep my eyes open for it because it's a lot that sounds for me to dig. I should mention, I hate that it's sort of ping-pongy because I'm like, I should build questions off that. But I'm like, eh, I'm going to mention Star Wars Lost Stars Volume 2, which finally came out. People may remember me pissing and moaning about how... Volume one came out, and I'm like, just get volume two out, people. What the fuck? Yeah, it was a long time ago, it feels like. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Star Wars Lost Stars, for the people who don't necessarily remember, is an adaptation of, I think, a novel by uh, Claudia Gray that's done by Yusako Komiyama that was published in Japan and is being published by... Eh, shit. Um, Dark Horse? No, who the hell? Yen Press is publishing this. I was going to say, it wouldn't wouldn't be Dark Horse for all manner of reasons. Well, the funny thing is, is I'm like, it shouldn't really, like, you're like, oh, yeah, it'd be Marvel or maybe IDW, right? But no, it's Yen Press. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's to me a great, a great hook, which is, it's a Star Wars romance novel with, you know, Star-crossed lovers, of course. One's an imperial officer; the other one ends up being, a, you know, a pilot in for the rebellion. And it's just, uh, you know, it's very well pieced. It's just a, a really nice assemblage of pieces. And I have to say, I've always been a sucker for Star Wars when done by Japanese creators, and you know, like when Dark Horse had. Uh, republish some of that Star Wars manga. I was just like, mm-hmm. I respond so strongly to that. It took a while. I was like, I don't know why that would be the case other than, of course, I mean, you know, the Japanese influence, of course, is strong in Star Wars, but one can make the case that there's a lot of influences that are strong within Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. But in the course of reading Star Wars Lost Stars, I did think that one of the things that really works in a a way that I hadn't really thought about before is Star Wars, at least this, the, as framed from, you know, episodes four through six, A Lost Hope to Return of the Jedi, it is the rebellion and it is the empire. And one of the things that's great about Lost Stars is in order to tell the story that it does it has it literally starts with these two characters as children on the same planet from different backgrounds who both essentially fall in love with spaceships and the promise of the empire and they do their best to get into the imperial academy and again there's that whole like 
all of that is perfectly framed for lots of other, there's dozens and dozens of other manga that are about, you know, friends from different backgrounds. One is a, one's a boy, one's a girl. They, you know, are close friends who are also going to fall in love. And then they end up in, you know, an elite school where they are competing to excel. That's all perfect. But, but more to the point, the idea, because of course they have to lose their faith in the empire that is such an inherently like Japanese concept slash event. You know what I mean? Like the way that the Japanese culture thought of the emperor as, you know, literally sort of the embodiment, the hand of God on earth and how after world war two, that had to be changed. That had to be, it was sort of systematically dismantled, I guess. But the way in which, like, there, there's been other um, film critics, for example, who've talked about the part of the shocking appeal of the first Godzilla movie, of Gojira, is the idea that this um, all-powerful uh, creature essentially is a monster is this sort of revelation that the Japanese had about their cultural faith in the infallibility of the, the emperor that, you know, then tumbled. And of course got um, tied to the psyche of the trauma of the atomic uh, explosion mm -hmm. within the recrafting of star Wars lost stars, which again is an American star Wars romance novel adopted into a manga like, weirdly enough, it's like, oh, the destruction of Alderaan is this betrayal of the Empire's promise that does have a weird tie-in to... It's it's all strangely much more of a, like, oh, yeah, the Japanese kind of really... You're, you're like, they, they get it. Yeah. They get it in a way that, like, American audiences don't get. Right, yeah. exactly. There's there's a cultural saturation in there that knows a little bit more about the emotional stakes in a way that that American creators kind of tend to do a, yeehaw, rebels good, empire bad, yip yip, you know, kind of thing that doesn't, you know, really present much nuance. And in a way... You know, one could argue the entire enjoyable part of Star Wars is it's not about nuance, but for people who have to then go on and craft continuing stories, you kind of have to do, you know, you got to figure out a way in. And and I think I really do think that, yeah, I'm always a sucker for Japanese Star Wars takes and particularly when filtered through the genre of a romance novel adapted to in manga format. It 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 just it just is the it's not sublime you know in the way that you know blank canvas is uh but but wow it is such a fun read i really enjoyed those two volumes a lot so and of course it next volume's the conclusion and hopefully i don't have to wait another nine months i was gonna say hopefully so. that comes out in your your lifetime i i have to ask do you read the american star wars comics the marvel ones uh, I started, I liked the first Jason Aaron books, and I think I read the first somewhere, maybe up to 20 issues, and then I wandered off. Um, and I think the other thing that helps me is Lost Stars are um, 
it, it it's you know the, it's not the movie characters right exactly it's, 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 it's like a closed loop it's it's different characters in the same setting right but because of when it takes place it makes sense that like the kids when they are on the planet part of how they end up being uh, recruited by the empire is they're taken under the wing of grand moff tarkin you know or later they you know when they're at an imperial ball and it's still of course early enough in there's princess leia from alderaan appearing you know and and darth vader pops up and seeing those characters just from a distance as cameos works really well you know it's uh it, it's it's a good approach but yeah having original characters where there's a certain amount of you know they can die or things happen to them it's weird it's part of why i never necessarily cared much about the dark horse a lot of the dark horse star wars series but i think the other thing that sort of helped me was in 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 case with lost stars is kind of knowing that it's kind of a closed story again it helps that it's kind of a romance novel so it's trying to serve specific ends as opposed to oh here's dash rendar and he's like the coolest guy since han solo (laughs) but wait he's also the savviest lightsaber user since obi-wan kenobi Oh, but wait, he also has breasts as supple as Princess Leia. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like... Tell me more about this Dash Rendar person. <laughs> exactly. I can't wait to read all of his adventures. So, I, yeah. I, I ask because when I did Star Wars Celebration in April or something. Right. Um, and while I was there, I essentially binged all of Kieran Gillen's Star Wars run, which mm. I've been reading before, like periodically, mm-hmm. right? Right, but literally, I was there and I was like, "Star Wars only, doing Star Wars. What am I going to read? Star Wars," um, and I loved it, and I found it. Uh, and part of it, part of what made me want to ask a question was you're mentioning neurons, mm-hmm. and Gillen's Star Wars run is closing a plot loop that I never really thought about. Mm-hmm. Uh, between the original film and, and Empire Strikes Back. Um, but also finding space for a uh, subtle and sad story, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, because he, he he's talked about this in, in interviews. Like, how do you go from the end of Star Wars where, and I know it's called A New Hope, but it's fucking Star Wars, everyone. Yes. Um where basically the good guys win and they're having like a medal ceremony. Yes. Right? And they destroy the Death Star. To the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, where like everything is shit for the rebellion. Yeah. Like what happened? Mm-hmm. And so Gillen sets out to tell that story. Mm. How do you go from like having this massive victory, which is also a massive propaganda victory, right? To being in hiding. Mm. What has gone wrong? Mm. And he, he tells the story, but it's a, it's a surprisingly subtle story. Hmm. Of what goes wrong, even though it feels very much like one of the original trilogy of films, which is to say, it's very bombastic. There's lots of mm-hmm. um, sort of broad comedy, mm-hmm. um, and and it's not depressing, quote mm-hmm. unquote. You know, right? Um, but it is. It ends up being this very subtle, sad story that that I I kind of love. Hmm. 
Um, and I, I would be curious what you think of it, to be honest. I should check it out. You know, it's one of those things where on some sale or other, I, I do think that it was like the great Marvel Amazon fire sale. I literally purchased all of Gillen's Darth Vader run for like a stupidly low price, you know, considering they're selling them for like two ninety nine a volume or three fifty or something. And I had read the first three or four issues of Darth Vader and and liked it and knew, of course, that people loved it. And I'm like, okay, so I'll purchase the rest of the, these volumes and then dig into them. And then never quite did. And I have to say, I do think that, as I know, I tend to run very more coolish, more cold than hot with Gillen. But the fact that it's Greg Land, no, or is it Carlos Pacheco? Is it Pacheco uh, doing no, the art? No, it's neither. Salvador LaRocca. Oh, sorry. Salvador LaRocca. It's Salvador LaRocca, but for some reason, LaRocca working in super photo referenced mode. Yes. And honestly, even more so in Star in the Star, the Star Wars issues. Oh. And it's like distractingly so. Yeah. Um, which which is a shame, to be honest. It really is. It, 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 it like, you have to look past it. Like, you actually have to work past it. Mm-hmm. Um. But no, it, it's yeah. That that is a problem. Okay. I like I like his Darth Vader a bunch. I like Gillen's Darth Vader a bunch. Actually, I like Charles Sewell's Darth Vader a bunch as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Gillen's Star Wars is is something that I think you might like. Yes, yeah, right, right. Um, I I want to pivot from that to something entirely different, <laughs> like one hundred percent. Okay. Um, a because I also want to bring us in roughly under two hours because we are recording late because like you have had like crazy as day. Yeah. Um, this may be a slightly shorter episode, whatnot. So we apologize in advance. Uh, but also because you, I need you, I need you to tell me that this is okay, Jeff. <laughs> this really is the fanfic. Why? Uh huh. Why is Marvel doing a Conan Moon Knight series? Conan Midnight? Moon Knight. Oh, Conan and Moon Knight. Yes, and Solomon Kane and Dark Agnes, all in the same series. Wait, did they get the rights for Solomon Kane, or is it yep. just Solomon yep. Kane nope. is also in the nope. public domain? Nope, they got, got the rights for him. He's another Robert E. Howard character. They announced right. on like Tuesday that they were expanding the relationship with Conan Properties which is apparently the name of who owns all the Robert E. Howard characters. And then like two days later, they're like, we're making Conan Serpent War. It's a four-part series in which Conan, Solomon Kane, Dark Agnes. I will never get over the fucking name Dark Agnes. Well, who is Dark they're, Agnes? What? It's apparently like Robert E. Howard's like Red Sonia. Oh. Okay. Who the fuck knows? Anyway. Wow. Okay. Right. Dark Agnes. Dark Agnes, Jeff. Dark Agnes. <laughs> Agnes. Uh, anyway, Conan, Solomon Kane, Dark Agnes, and Moon Knight. Moon Knight, Robert E. Howard's other great creation. Yes, what exactly. the hell? I mean, you read Savage Avengers, right? Yes, and, that's, and I liked it. I talked about it just all, recently. That's, yeah. that's also Jim's up, right? Yeah. Who's writing this book? Uh, no, it's Jerry Dugan. Oh, is it Jerry Duncan? Of course, yeah, Jim Zub wrote um, uh, No Road Home or whatever. Yes, and yeah. also Savage Sword of Conan. Ah, like, right. That's his Conan series. Yeah. Um, but still, what the fuck, Jeff? Uh, right. Good question, Greg. Like, like, no, like you again. You read Savage Avengers. Mm-hmm. You are you're like down with the Conan 
with superheroes thing. Yeah. Um, why are they doing this in more than one comic? Well, like the entire gimmick of Savage Avengers, it's Conan with superheroes. Like, if you do another, it's Conan with superheroes comic. Aren't you diluting it, the effect? Yeah, right. and we say this, but like, I mean, look at Marvel's output right now. We'll I say that. I think that's right. Marvel also had the biggest sales like market percentage share they've had in twenty two years. Yes, but again, um, I mean, I was going to mention, I was going to talk to you about that because I thought that was. Uh, I think I saw that through your links and myself on new comic book day, looking through comiXology, I was shocked that DC had 24 books out last week, at least available digitally through comiXology and Marvel had 40, you know, yeah. and this is just one week, 40 yeah, titles. Isn't it nuts? Like, yeah. do you remember when Marvel would have 40 books in a month? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it is such a floodgate so hearing that they had their 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 biggest month in quite some time uh they had their biggest month in the entire time the diamonds has been uh, right. providing final sales data exactly so which is a good chunk of time it, it, it is a <clears throat> that's sobering because of course for me i really do part of me is thought that i had hoped perhaps idly that DC's trimming back their publication schedule would be seen as a sensible idea. And Marvel would perhaps, I know it wasn't likely, but might somehow take the goddamn foot off the accelerator as far as nope, they, flooding they just, the marketplace. They just, put the foot down, they just put the foot down more. Yeah. I mean, Jeff, we're in an era where, and this is no offense to Greg Pak, the agents of Atlas has two spin-off series, all of which are ongoing. Right. So the thing that's tough is I myself, as a Marvel head, back when I was a kid, Marvel published too many books back then, and it was great for people like me because it meant stuff like, you know, Black Panther Jungle Action or Skull the Slayer or just lots of stuff, you know, Gerber and Engelhart and dudes that weren't necessarily being looked at too closely, you know, as long as a, their book sold. It's just, I, I'm probably reading more, more Marvel books. In fact, I've definitely, now that I've subscribed to Zdarsky's Daredevil and I'm reading the Gwenpool, which miniseries, mm -hmm. I had to throw on the miniseries there. So people just didn't think that I was so old. I was referring to her as the Gwenpool, which would be kind of funny. Um, you know, Marvel is being rewarded once again for bad behavior. And it's hard not to think that it's going to be the retailers and the, the marketplace that are ultimately going to suffer. So I, you know, I mean, other people are going to be saying like, Hey, shut up. Marvel's, you know, all this money in the marketplace means that more money is going to the retailers. But I assume that part of what's happening is Marvel has such a huge market share because Marvel's literally publishing twice as many books as DC. Not that they're selling twice as many. We, here's the crazy thing. That's not actually true for August, it turns out. Oh, good, I think. So... Uh, that was just a, a month where either DC had a ton of books out as well or that Marvel didn't have that many out and what they did have sold pretty well. Do you know what the estimates are for 
Absolute Carnage and Marvel no, Comics. No, apparently or? that's not coming out to the to, uh, Monday or Tuesday. Oh, okay. Um, but no, I mean the top ten for August is is nuts. Mm-hmm. Absolute Carnage and Marvel Comics a thousand right. uh, are one and two, which is by the way an eight dollar book and a ten dollar book. Right, and is that by unit sales or is that by dollars? Unit sales. Fuck. Then Batman Superman issue one is number three. Right. House of X and Powers of Ten is the next four placements in the chart. Holy shit! Followed by Absolute Carnage number two. Uh huh. And then you get Batman 77 and Batman Curse of the White Knight, number two. Wow. Wow. What's, you know what's really interesting? Mm. Batman Superman number one is at the third slot. Mm-hmm. Its estimates have been reduced due to returnability. Oh, for fuck's which means, sake. Which means it might have outsold Marvel Comics 1000, and we won't actually know. Right, by initial orders, but after it's adjusted, I wish they would stop doing that shit. I hate that. Um, in terms of uh, top selling by dollars, it's Marvel Comics of Thousands is the top selling by dollars. Right. Absolute Carnage, Batman Superman number one, and then Superman Year One Issue Two, interestingly enough. Huh. That is weird. Interesting. Hmm. Number two, which, but not which, Issue One. Hmm. Well, Issue One came out like two or three months ago. Oh, did it? Wait. Yeah, so it's a bi-monthly book. God damn, I've not been paying attention. That came out... Oh, anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, wow, huh. Well, so yeah, the marketplace. What? Very yeah. weird. Conan Moon Knight, Jeff. Let's get back oh, to Oh, yeah, to Bruce... get back to that. Right, right, right. So, Graham, what, I guess what I would say is... Like, if someone said to you, Jeff, we want you to write a, a Conan miniseries... Um, you've got to introduce Dark Agnes because we've paid money for her and we thought Angela wasn't bad enough. So we've got Dark Agnes as well. Right. Um, and you've got to have someone like Kane in it. And you've got to have a Marvel character. I think Moon Knight what is... What the world would you think Moon Knight? I'll tell you why I think Moon Knight. Because Moon Knight has a tie to the ancient gods, right? So... By tying, by having Moon Knight, which is den, who is the you know, depending on where you want to place him fist at, Conchu. is the fist of Conchu. Conchu can tie in really well with the you know the other gods of Howard's middle. I want to say Middle Earth, whatever the hell the damn Hyperborean era. Um, you know, it's like you can make the link of like there was always a battle dispute between Krom and Kansu. I haven't gone into it, but the level to which Krom is mentioned in uh, Savage Avengers and for the most part is it's left very lightly as to whether or not um, Krom is an actual deity or not if you see what i'm saying or rather that if there's any if he has any ties to quote unquote the marvel universe there is one point where um uh conan ends up basically with a sword that he feels is is the sword of crom because it's all black and it's essentially a symbiote on the sword and then the symbiote takes over Conan or merges with him and that is part of the tie-in to the Venom stuff but you don't really like that's 
sort of how Conan shorthands or understands it, sort of. But there is that way of it's not presented definitively one way or another. So sure. So you've got to get Conan. You've got to do a tie-in with a superhero. You've got another character that is a warrior battling dude who is also, again, tied to mystical gods. If you're not going to do Doctor Strange, uh, it makes, you know, where else are you going to go? Moon Knight kind of makes sense. I don't think that it's, you know, it probably won't be great. But when you told me it, I was like, oh, that that kind of makes sense. I mean, I've always had a, a weakness for Solomon Kane, and Solomon Kane is also, in his own way, um, essentially a, a, a fist of God. You know, he's a Puritan who is literally, um, you know, as is so r- regrettably the case with Howard, a masturbatory colonialist uh, hit, uh, fantasy because... Um, you know, Kane is making his way through the dark wilds of uh, America and fighting the dark gods with the, the, the light of his righteousness as a sort of, as another quote unquote kind of religious warrior. It makes sense that he's involved. Don't know a goddamn thing about dark Agnes. It's hilarious name. Um, dark Agnes just, Yeah. Dark yeah. Agnes. I actually can't get. I honestly, I, I have trouble with Dark Agnes. Every time I think about it, my brain shuts down. It's just like, why? Like, Agnes is pretty bad, but adding dark doesn't make it better. Yeah, right. Do you know what I mean? It's like they're like, well, you know, no, this is. Oh, wait, what if we just add dark? But it, I mean, I'm. A, I sort of half assume the character was originally called Dark Agnes, and they're not dressing it up at all. But maybe I'm wrong. So, I mean, honestly, who, who knows? Right. Well, yeah, Wikipedia and anyone who can be arsed to okay. type, but that's, that's not me. I'm going to look up Dark Agnes now. Okay, please do. I think this will be good, Graham. Dark Agnes. Nope, that's not it. That, oh. Well, looking up. Oh, oh. there you go. Um, Dark Agnes de Chastelon. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a fictional character created by Robert E. Howard. Protagonist of three stories set in 16th century France. Mm-hmm. Not printed until a long time after the author's death. Mm-hmm. So clearly, Robert E. Howard, very much fan. Yeah. I interestingly enough, it doesn't seem to, doesn't say where Dark came from. Because mm-hmm. she's known as Agnes de Chastelon, Dark Agnes, Agnes de la Freire, and the Sword Woman. Hmm. And so, is she one of the inspirations for Red Sonia? Is it one of those situations where? That's where it's, Thomas it's, adapted I mean, the character from. Sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, Roy Thomas apparently has based Red Sonia on Dark Agnes. Okay, thanks. So that's... And also, Red Sonia. Did you know Red Sonia and Red Sonia are different characters? Oh, yeah, I did. The Huge comics goodness. one has a J and the, the Howard's has a Y and they're apparently entirely different. <laughs> No, but apparently, like, their characters right. are different. No, that's right. I do remember that. That's right. Because it's that classic Thomas thing of he took the name from one, slapped it on the other. Because, bless him, he was like, no one's going to buy Dark Agnes, but Red Sonia, you know, and he's right. So, um, huh, okay. Thank you for looking that up, Graham. Again, part of me is like, could work. Could I, you know, at this point, Dark Agnes is the only real quibble that I have. Um, 
And part of me is, again, Marvel's just, you know, flooding the market slash flinging shit at the walls. Like, Savage Avengers sold, I think, even better than they were expecting. So I'm assuming they're kind of okay, like... Now, now I'm looking up, because when Marvel announced they they expanded the license and they're using Solomon Kane and Dark Agnes, my first thought was, I wonder how Conan is selling. And the answer is, shittily. Is Conan selling shittily? Conan's selling thirty five thousand right now. Wow! And, and Savage, Savage Sword is like twenty thousand. Oh yeah, maybe fifteen thousand. Only suckers buy Savage Sword now that it's if it's if it's not in black. <laughs> Seriously, if it's not in black and white and it doesn't have only losers buy that. Only I didn't say losers. I said suckers. It's very important. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it should be losers by Savage Avengers. No. Um. So what the hell? What the hell is Savage Avengers? Savage, Ave- Savage Avengers is selling by issue three fifty six thousand copies. Okay. So that there's your answer. They're making. They're selling more copies of Conan with Jesus. superheroes than fucking Conan. So yeah, basically there you go. That that's your answer. Is they're like we're paying a certain amount of money for this license. I'm assuming if they didn't buy the motherfucking thing outright, how are we going to get our investment back? Oh, this sells, you know, there's your answer. But that being said, I think that Moon Knight is not the least organic choice. You know what I mean? Like, See, this is, this is why I had to ask you, because honestly, I found that out and I was like, they're doing it by Mad Libs. Yeah, no. No, no, sure. no, no. That one made sense. Like, that, like I they're said. They're literally just planning comics by Mad Libs. Yeah, yeah. No, that, and again. Yeah, it's clearly working out for them. Yeah, right, right, right. So yeah. good on you, I guess, Marvel. God, I can't believe that Conan's selling poorly. It's really up. I really, you can't believe that. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic. That's genuinely surprising to you. It is genuinely surprising to me. Uh, it's you, it, you know what's you know what's funny when they hang on. I'm going to have to look up the Marvel press release about the, the Solomon Kane thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because it has this very here you go. Has this very interesting start. Um, with both Conan the Barbarian issue one and Conan the Barbarian volume one, the life and death of Conan book one, debuting in the top ten of their respective markets, it's clear that readers were happy to be back in the age of Hyboria. Right. It's a very specific like phrasing, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. What's interesting is in top ten of their respective markets, I looked up book scan information. <laughs> no, really. For when Conan the Barbarian Volume 1 was released. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. Mm-hmm. So it's in the direct market. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the direct market is also showing that after Conan Issue 1, which did sell really well, mm-hmm. and for that comic is tanked within six months. Yeah, which is... Okay? Yeah. So it seems a very, very risky slash maybe this whole idea is contractually obligated plan to expand your license right well uh yeah like i said again, the yeah. markets is one thing because i in the mention of like the respective markets for conan volume one i was like oh in the bookstores it must have sold well no right i am going off the basis of it's a good comic and it's being written by jason aaron Right. So part of me is like, I know that is kind of my old school thinking of Aaron is one of the bigger slash biggest names that Marvel has. And he's doing the Conan book. And on top of which, he's doing it pretty well. 
I will admit that I think that he has made a weird structural error, but I don't know if that's the real reason why everyone, why the book shed numbers in droves or not, you know, but, uh, but I expect it's a good people book. don't want a comic comic. Uh, maybe. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not being like, no, no, about no, 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 I no, no, no. think there's a significant market for like sword and sorcery. Right. Right. I, Conan, okay, I'm looking up in the drag market. Conan was the seventh best-selling collection in July. Okay. With 3,000 copies. <laughs> Oof. Wow. So again, uh, okay, like that's that doesn't strike me as specifically strong. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Although I on the plus side, Dear Justice League beat, beat it in sales. So there you go. <laughs> And let's face it, Dear Justice League is for suckers. Only suckers buy Dear Justice League. Only children read that comic. Yeah, you've got to be a child. No, I'm sorry. I got to admit, I didn't read. I just flipped through Dear Justice League. I almost said Dark Justice League. uh, (laughs) Give give it a while. Give it it, not that long. Yeah, exactly. I I, I read the free comic book day show, and I thought it was cute. Yeah, yeah. I'm... It's a kids' book, Jeff. Yeah, and I've recommended kids' books got, before. It's just not got the, the emotional intensity you expect from a kids' book about writing to the fucking Justice League. It's not that. You know what it is? It's the fact that it pretends like the books, like the letters are real and they're not, and that bothers me. Doesn't pretend the letters are real. It does. It does. It goes too far to try and make it seem like those are real letters being written Wait. in the Justice League. Really? I thought so. Okay. <laughs> I know. You're like... I, I am so like... I I disagree with you so much. I know. Like, I know. Okay, and you should. You should. Because it says so-and-so by so-and-so. But at no point do they actually say, like, this is a made-up story. You know what I mean? Like when you've got a book, when you've got a book for kids, when you've got a book for kids (laughs) and it's for young kids and you don't say that the people who are writing the letters are made up, but instead you give them like you, you ladle on the details. You're clearly sort of like, oh, oh, are these the stories that people wrote the Justice League after seeing the cartoon? I am. I am so excited that after 10 years of this podcast, we finally discovered that you're a dear Justice League truther. I am. I totally <laughs> am, Graham. And let me tell you, let me I tell you. I can't believe those middle grade kids aren't going to understand the concept of fictional letters. How okay. dare they lie to them? You, you know something, Graham? I will tell you a little fact. One of the books that I read growing up was kids' letters to Batman. And those were letters that were written to Batman after the success of the Batman TV show. I'm just going to put this out here. That might be shaping your expectations of this book more than anything else. Uh, Graham, that was also my point, is back in my day, (laughs) you read real letters from real kids to made-up people. Once it's made-up kids to made-up people... It's just cats and dogs sleeping how, with yeah, one another. How, how deep does this... How... Yeah, exactly. What was it that I said earlier? Hashtag 
question the deep state. You know, like I just back when I had my Joe Rogan joke that I had to abort, you know, in the first trimester of us talking. Uh, <laughs> I, oh, wow. I know we're I know we're actually recording late, but Jeff, where are you going tonight? <laughs> anyway, my oh, point being, Grandpa, oh, no. the worst part is oh, in the course of talking to you, oh, I'm no. like, wait a minute. Oh, no. How do I know that the letters from those kids written to Batman were real. What if they're not real? No, that they wouldn't do that, those bastards. They presented those as real letters. I'm like, yeah, but they just lied to children all the time back then. Like, they didn't even hesitate. Fuck, I'm going to end up falling down a research hole of whether or not the kids' letters to Batman were real letters, or as was the case with 70% of fucking DC at the time, it was E. Nelson Bridwell making shit up. Oh, God. Oh, don't let it be true. <laughs> I'm I'm just kind of standing back at this point. Uh, yeah, please Going, do, Graham. This what, odyssey's what? not over. I really am what, having that. What is even, what is even happening? Uh, I'm, I'm now... <laughs> I, I honestly don't know why. I'm now looking back at what the best-selling graphic novels in the direct market were in June, and I'm happy to tell you that um, Conan Volume 1 sold less than Tokyo Pops to Disney Descendants, Evie's Wicked Runaway graphic novels. Okay. You want to know something crazy, Graham, is I totally let you get the upper hand. You mocked me for being a Dear Justice League truther while you continue to be a Conan truther. <laughs> that I'm, is sad. I, you are. You're totally fact-checking a press release and you're breaking out the Conan deep state theories and that's fine. <laughs> but then you're mocking me for the Dear Justice League theories and that, my friend, is class A hypocrisy. I'm it's too much jeff it's it's too much just we have let's it's the end of the podcast (laughs) we're talking we can't no more questions i knew it graham this is it this is where you're like okay he's crossed the line you're shutting us down i see (laughs) i really do i'm like you know whatever look to the skies follow the truth like what 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 is it that they said in uh, pump up the volume like gleam the cube or the truth is out there what did they okay. say okay eat I'm the radio gonna... wasn't it something like eat the radio what yeah. what does Chris Slater say at the end of well, who has actually thought of that film in years secondly I love that one of your your slogans for pump up the volume was the name of a different Christian Slater movie aka gleaming the cube his skateboard drama I feel you you. First of all, you've made up for Dear Justice League Trucerism right now with, with that unexpected Christian Slater 1980s twofer. <laughs> I could... I, I, what? I was going to say I could keep I going, but yeah. Mm-hmm. What I genuinely love about this is there really are going to be people listening to this who will have no idea about these films. Oh, I really thought you were going to go from the opposite place, which is thank God someone in the comments is going to let us know what they're saying at the end of pump up the volume without us having to watch it. Oh, I'm, I'm fairly sure someone will. Everyone assumed that is your challenge for this episode. Yeah. Uh, I also secretly hope when you were like, I thought you were going to go the opposite direction. I thought you were going to say that someone who's listening to this appeared in pump up the volume. 
I can only hope if anyone in the comments wants to just lie and say that they did, that would also make me very, very happy. Wait, that's what? What, what are you saying? They, they actually appeared in the film Pump Up the Volume. Oh, Sorry, oh, that one that one of our listeners, one of the whatnots yes. actually appeared in Pump Up yes. the Volume. Okay. I also, that's true. I'm looking up Pump Up the Volume right now on Wikipedia. It came out in 1990. It was a comedy drama starring Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis. Okay. Graham? Yes. I, I just want to warn you before you go any further. We're going to start buzzing? I, no. No, no, no. God, no. Who cares about that? I saw Pump Up the Volume three times in the movie theater. So be Hi. careful of what you say. It's a good movie. A, it's a good movie. B, Samantha Mathis dances topless at one point. And C, it's a good good movie. It's got a good soundtrack. Uh, and at the end, when he's being okay. taken there, off in a, handcuffs, separate yells, Wikipedia entry for the Destiny soundtrack. turns on the radio or something. Eat, eat the radio. Eat the rich. No, it's radio the rich. I, everyone, I first of all, I haven't seen the film in, at this point, I think it's fair to say 28 years. So, because oh, I saw, saw the movie, one. and it's good. Yeah. It's good. Also, everybody knows by Leonard Cohen, uh, "Wave of oh, Mutilation" by, by the Pixies. No, there's two versions, Graham. Already, no one should listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, other songs. No, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the track listing of the album right yeah, now. Right. Yeah, I used to have that album, and I listened to it a lot. "Wave of Mutilation." Soundgarden. Oh, God, Soundgarden was terrible. No, there's other good stuff. It was mostly some of his older stuff, although they had a Beastie Boys sound song yep, on the scenario. film. Yeah. Scenario was on yeah, Beastie yeah, Boys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dad, I'm in jail by Was Not Was. Yes, which I get this. This is great, Graham. You will love this, by which I mean you probably won't, and the rest of the listeners are hoping, wishing that you had hung up on me earlier. Back in the day, we had a little thing called answering machines where you people <laughs> called you and if you weren't home like there was a tape recording that would play an outgoing message and then there would be after the beep you could leave a message on a tape tape you know that would record your your message i I, to... I remember answering machines but thank you for explaining for the younger listeners who who may yeah, have yeah. no idea. no no i was explaining it for you no <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you weren't paying attention. You were too busy Brit popping or whatever you people were doing back then. Uh, I put um, was not was is uh, walk the dinosaur. No, uh, okay. no, 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 no. The hello, dad. I'm in jail. Um, as my outgoing track. So someone called. They they got the hello, dad. I'm in jail. I'm calling from jail now. It's nice. You know, I like it here. It's nice. Um, <laughs> You're. I haven't heard that song in years. Yeah. And just you doing it, a makes me really want to listen to it. B ruins my. Because we were late recording this, I I do know why, but it's much better if I pretend I don't. I, I was listening to Mercury Rev. Do you remember Mercury Rev? I don't think you I don't. Do. You've, no. you've gone. Yeah. There's yep. a certain generation of British listeners who are like fucking deserter songs. Yes, I was listening to deserter songs. Um, so I'm glad that we were going back even later. Hello, Die Diamond Jails from the 1988 album What's Up Dog. Mm, yes. I, I didn't get into Wasn't It Was until their following album, Are You Okay? Which had the cover of Papa Was a Rolling Stone on it. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
which I get. And I Feel Better Than James Brown, which was my favorite song in that album. <laughs> what a great title. So uh, just to wrap things up nicely, I had that on my uh, Answering Machine soundtrack. That was not the point of the story. I'm not nearly that unfocused yet. The point being, my dad called me to leave a message. <laughs> oh, good. I thought you were in jail. Thought that I was in jail and or I was angry at him. Because, of course, the person takes an angry tone. And so my dad... Everything about this story has just become wonderful. ...avoided speaking to me for three fucking weeks because he thought that I was attacking him with my choice of soundtrack options. And I'm like, no, Dad. It's... Just... See, that's... I'm, honestly, that seems fair. <laughs> well, what do you, Graham? You're a Conan truther, you know, so, but for the rest of I, us. I, I'm a Conan truther, but not a dear Justice League truther. That is the, the that is the twain that has never come between us. Or <laughs> twain things. So you're a Mark Twain truther as well. As I'm a saying. Mark Twain truther, yes. Ever since he teamed up with Whoopi Goldberg and Data in Star Trek The Next Generation, I was like, I'm done with them. <laughs> I'm done with them. Fucking, like, Tom Sawyer painting the fucking fences. Fuck you! You <laughs> fucked off in the Enterprise, but did you? No. Okay. Yes, buried under San Francisco. Do you care? No. You know what? I have to say, I now understand why you tried to shut me down. Because I had that <laughs> moment of, like, I've got to shut this down. Graham can't be held responsible for this shit. I can't, you know, it's one thing for me to go there. But once you start going there, I'm like, oh, no, this is very wrong. This is very wrong. <laughs> it's We should shut it down anyway because it's like it's it's 10.15. Yeah, no, exactly. The point after we've recorded is where we're still talking. We're like, oh, Jesus, we've got to get off the phone. Yeah. And instead, still actually recording the podcast. Yep. Everyone, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeff is not going to tell us if we're recording next week or the week after. Oh, no, I'm going to tell you, Jeff, yeah, we're not recording do. next week. Oh, we're not. We're not recording next week. No, we're recording oh. the week after. Okay, good to know. Good to know. And that uh, will be uh, a drop. Actually, let me look at the calendar to confirm this. <laughs> Professional podcasters, no... ladies and gentlemen, yes, available for weddings yeah, we and are. We're not recording next week. We're recording the week after. For reasons I will explain to you when we stop recording. <laughs> God. <laughs> Uh, yeah, two weeks we're going to be doing a talk, yeah. and we're going to be doing uh, Case Files Volume Eight, eight yeah, uh, uh, featuring Steve Dillon going <laughs> wild. Oh, interesting! Wild. Okay. And it does feature an episode of Just Red where Steve Dillon drew four pages in two days. <gasps> wow. I will explain. I'll explain the story of that in the drug. But right. yeah, there's there's an episode where he drew this the entire thing uh, in two days. Ooh. Wow. Which is kind of yeah. also more amazing. You won't be able to tell which episode. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. In fact, I had one of those moments of like, oh shit. Well, anyway, um, we'll 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 burn that mega city when we come to it. Graham, do you want to? Anyway, um... Yes, we are. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us uh, show notes whatpodcast dot com. We are on Instagram Instagram dot com for slash wait what podcast. We are on Tumblr when I remember to update it, and I'm not completely snowed under by work and or bad mood. Uh, Waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. dot com. We are on Twitter at wait what podcast. Jeff's on Twitter solo at lazy bastard at l a z y b a s t i d. 
I am on Twitter solo at Graham M at G R A E M E M. And we are a Patreon supported podcast, which means Mr. Jeff Lester is going to stop talking about Conan and was not was, although really he could keep talking about was not was and say this. Hey everyone. Uh, I, uh, just totally, it's the way I said, I, I suddenly felt like, uh, I felt, I know, you know what it was? I sounded so much like Stimpy from Ren and Stimpy from a moment that I couldn't figure out where I was going to go next. Like it was literally like, I, I'll ran. Uh, anyway, it's probably going to sound terrible, but in my what? ears, it sounded right. Why are we like flashing back to 1990s now? I don't, I, I, you're right. You're right. Uh, what not was and, and pump up the volume and gleaming yeah. the cube for bonus points. Um, people missed my shout out to destiny turns on the radio. Uh, anyway, so right. What was I going to say? Um, we're super grateful that you continue to listen to us uh, talk. Especially we hope that it when brings we go a off the bit. rails. Oh God, when we go off so horribly off the rails, hopefully this is the sort of thing that you enjoy. Because uh, if not, it's otherwise probably just a mess. So we hope we hope we brought a smile to your face, as Batman supposedly says in Dear Justice League. We also have to thank uh, the fine listeners at uh, Patreon for um, continuing to support us, uh, not just with their ears, but also with their wallets. Throw a little bit of their hard-earned dosh our way. We're super, super grateful. We really do take it um, far more seriously than our complete and utter mangling of uh, the English language, comic book history, and podcast etiquette might lead you to believe. And as a direct result of your support, we've done things like Drock, our continuing read-through, the complete Judge Dredd case files, the Baxter building, our complete read-through, the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four, and every once in a while, I'll still get a kind of terrifying um, PTSD-like flashback to um, some of those lesser issues. (laughs) But... uh, you know, apart from the damage done to my psyche, we're actually incredibly grateful for that and your support. Uh, I should mention, in particular, the support of Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We're especially grateful for her continuing um, in month in, month out uh, preservation of this arm of our celestial realm. Graham? I get nothing to add for once. It's late. Jeff and I are punchy. Yep. But what I really want to say is, everyone, thank you for listening. We really did go horribly off the rails. I am going to have terrible PTSD about Christian Slater films from the 1990s. (laughs) Really, anyone who's heard, who's been listening and was like, Gleaming the Cube, what the hell? Don't even look it up. Don't. Gleaming the Cube is no. Just ignorance is bliss when it comes to Gleaming the Cube, I promise you. Yeah, but I think Pump Up the Volume holds up. Pump Up the Volume, but Gleaming the Cube is a steaming pile of shit. (laughs) Let's, it's a shame. Let's. It's a shame. I was such a kid. I was like, no, skateboard it, it action movie. It seemed like it would work. Oh, wait! Did you say you were such a kid? I guess I was such a kid. I wasn't that much of a kid. I was, I was going to say, like, when were you born? What year? Last, I don't know, sixty-six. So, I mean, I was in my twenties. You know, I had no excuse for thinking like Christian. So, well, actually, is Gleaming the Cube the nineties or is it like the late eighties? Well, now I've got to look. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs>
Blade of the Cube came out in 1989. Bing! So anyway, yes, I was still You're far only too 23 old years old. Movies. You know what? That's young in my book. Why, back in my day, 23 years old? I, I will, I will pull play. out this, this piece of information that, again, harkens back to the 1990s. Blade of the Cube was written by the same man who wrote The Player. Do you remember The Player being a big thing? Holy shit, yes. Michael Tolkien wrote Gleaming yep. the Cube? Yes, he did. Fucking hell. That's we really ha- we're like, we really are disappearing into like a weird nostalgia hole for the 1990s. Just like Gleaming the Cube is, you know, answering machines is going to be confusing to a certain segment of listeners. Honestly, I think the player might be one of the more obscure references we've pulled recently. More obscure and, than Gleaming the Cube? All right, well, fair I think it might be. The yeah. player was a really big deal for a very short amount of time, but it was a very big deal. Well, but see, when you're big enough that you get nominated for an Academy Award, I feel like you're always going to be known at a certain level of pub quizness. You know what I mean? That Gleaming the Cube is for best picture 1989 right see and that's what i'm talking about i kind of feel like because because the player was a robert altman movie like it's going to always exist as a level just a little cut above total obscurity but maybe that's just maybe that's just me being anyway all of this was prelude to me saying thank you for listening everyone bye (laughs) 